Today, I'm unveiling my very first Sages interview episode. These episodes shine a spotlight on women over 60 who have so much wisdom to share. In a culture obsessed with anti-aging, these episodes are pro-aging. Not only a privilege denied to many, growing older is good. In fact, it seems to be a time and place where many women truly begin to thrive. With so many of society's gatekeepers left behind, women really begin to explore their lives and spread their wings when they're older. And I aim to listen. We'll never know how many women's stories have been lost forever because they weren't thought to be all that valuable. In these episodes, we're changing that. Welcome to Full Spirals, a podcast where we tell the stories of belonging to this big human family and honor the raw human connections the arts consistently facilitate. It's about how life can take you for a spin, but still leave you grounded. We learn about hope and healing through the arts and the many ways creativity can lead you right back to yourself. We're so happy to have you along for the ride. I'm Stacy Parrish. Today we meet a woman at the top of her craft. Jennifer Monroe is a master storyteller. In 2016, she published a collection of short stories called Aunt Lily and Other Delightfully Perverse Stories, and she's also a Circle of Excellence Award winner. She's received numerous awards both for her contributions to storytelling, her CDs, and collection of short stories. And she has performed at festivals internationally and across the nation. And Jen regularly presents workshops on the art and practice of storytelling. We sat down and had this conversation shortly after she returned from a residency at the International Storytelling Center in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Ta-da! We're here! Yeah. How are you? I'm really good today. It's nice out. I'm a little, like most people, a little disconcerting with the uh, haze that has settled. Oh, yeah. And I, I go for a walk, even though I probably shouldn't. And then I get home and I have a headache and a sore throat. And I feel you like. I wonder why. Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, you're right. You, you can't go out. You shouldn't. Oh, you shouldn't go out. Yeah. I, we're told not to. And so I did. And yeah, it happened yesterday too. And I thought this, like, is that really, <laughs> I, I have to have lessons hammered in like a couple of yeah. times. Like, yeah. is that yeah. really what that was? Did I really get a sore throat just from taking a walk outside? <laughs> oh yeah, I did. <laughs> Ugh. So how are you? Pretty good. I'm pretty weary after last week. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty intense doing, mm -hmm. I know it doesn't sound very much, but you're doing an hour performance, mm -hmm. you know, Tuesday through Saturday, mm -hmm. and performance on Tuesday evening for the Storytelling Guild, which is a terrific guild. Um, and then I did um, a performance, I think it was for a conference for a group of astronomers from all over the world, like 200 people. So it's a lot of work, mm -hmm. you know, and especially when you're doing new stories, which I, I, you know, I was doing quite a few new stories. You know, no one forces you to do that, but of course it's, <laughs> it's just a great way to try new material, see how it lands. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And you have to, you have to keep doing that. Otherwise, you know, 
where are you? True. So you, I believe, are the perfect person to kick off the series that I'm about to do. I just see you as a woman who has so much wisdom. Oh, thank you. I mean, in life, in your field and and in following the breadcrumbs, I feel like I see you as somebody who really gets how to do that in their life and in their profession. So rather than starting backwards at the, or rather than starting at the very beginning, is it okay with you if we start where you are now and travel backwards? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when we first met back in March, you mentioned to me the storytelling festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is considered the big dance. And also Jonesboro being the home of the International Storytelling Center, making it the storytelling capital of the world. And you are just returning from a week as a teller in residence there. Right. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? It's it's always it's always a great um, compliment to be invited to perform in any aspect at Jonesboro. And the other big festival is Timpanoga. So to be performing at either one of those, you're going to be with the heavy hitters. Um, the thing is with Teller and Residence is that it has a very small select audience, and they're just trying to get back after the pandemic. The theater holds 92 people. Um, and... You know, my audiences were great. Uh, I think we got to the dizzying heights of 52, but with 100 people watching live stream. Mm -hmm. So audiences are very good, and they're also very supportive. And and so, as you know, as a storyteller who's been doing this since really I started in 1983 and creating my own material a few years after that, to have people who travel an hour and a half and their older folk turn up to your performance is a great compliment. To have people turn up more than once to see you is a great compliment in the space of the same week. Mm. recognize audience members is a great compliment. And that what they're saying is that we, I mean, they love stories generally. Mm-hmm. If they turn up more than once, then they're telling you they, they like your material in particular. It, it's a very humbling experience. Mm. And I think as it's always true. It's the story, not the teller. It's the story that's important. It's the story that is the connector. My story called My Odyssey. Generally, I don't like recovery stories. So I wanted to know specifically if this story was too long. And therefore, I didn't sort of edit it and get worried about the length. I I did it as is. Can you tell me about that story? Yeah. I mean, I had Guillaume Barre almost 15 years ago now, which is a neurological disorder. It starts in the body as a virus um, and kind of flips the body into attacking the myelin sheath at the end of the nerves of the muscles. So once that myelin sheath goes, your muscles stop working. If you are paralyzed, which I was, I mean, I was paralyzed totally and the left side of my face was paralyzed. So at one point I couldn't see properly because I was seeing double and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't talk and I couldn't move. And And it started off with Nurse Kathy. You have to have some kind of support for your feet. 
because when you're paralyzed, if your feet flop, which they will, they will never come back and you'll never be able to walk properly again. So Eric brought in these bright red Converse high-top boots and Nurse Kathy picked up my feet, clicked my heels together and said, well, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and I thought that would be a great entree into the story, which of course it is, mm-hmm. except I couldn't find connections all the way through with my experience. But I wanted to look at her and I did look at her and I saw a double and I wanted to say, if I can't do any of these things that makes me a real human interacting in the world, then who am I? And Odysseus calls himself nobody when Polyphemus the Cyclops says, what's your name? And I think, ah, no, I'm a nobody. Mm. I am literally a nobody. And I'm also trapped in this cave of my body. So I was able to identify with Odysseus and his need to get home. Right. So when did you put that all together or how? You know, there's something. I mean, I said to the universe, the Wizard of Oz is not working for me. Mm. And the universe rises up to greet you. And I end up coming out of my room to go home. And there are two guys that I used to work out with and then Eric. And so as I step out, that's when I hit the yellow brick road in my red boots to bring the whole thing home. And when I did that, I, I mean, I just got chills. You, you know that you're on the right path when the universe says, ooh, <laughs> that works. Yeah. I feel this little chill. Mm, that's so neat. Why do you think myth works so well when you're trying to bring home a personal story? Myth is always underlying life. Mm. Those myths have stayed around for years because you know what? It's a story of mankind. It's Mm -hmm. our story reflected back at us in mythological format. But that is an elevation. That's an invitation to this mystical world in which we find ourselves. And that's what myths do. They are these mystical invitations. I mean, who hasn't, who hasn't been the curious person who opens that box? Like, you can open anything, but don't open that box. Right. Right. And that is a, a given in life. Mm-hmm. Don't go out and breathe smoky air. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that was the first time, Jonesboro was the first time you told that story. Is that right? Yes. So did you learn anything from that telling? Yes. I I mean, I I learned because when you're in the middle of creating a story, particularly if it's pretty long, you you say to yourself, this is boring as all get out. (laughs) Who on earth is ever going to want to listen to this? Mm Mm-hmm. And I always feel that a story is standing over here saying, we wait patiently, she'll find us. You know, the story knows what its shape is long before you even consider what the shape of the story it is that you might want to write. Mm. It knows. And what I learned was 
don't underestimate your audience to be willing to travel with you along what is a serious road. Never underestimate the capacity of your audience to to go along on this this narrative arc. They want the story. Mm. They've signed up for it. It sounds like you consider your stories living and breathing entities. Yes, I know. I yes, I know that they are. And I had a story about a princess who rides off, and she's supposed to be live happily ever after. But of course, that doesn't happen. Or at least she is not happy. In fact, her husband is very controlling and he's very neglectful. And she meets a wise man. And the problem is when you create a character like a wise man. Gosh darn it, they have to sound wise. And I'm really not that wise. (laughs) So I was trying to make this man sound wise. And really, quite frankly, I sat for hours to come up with something that was really wise. And I thought, you know, just give up and just read a book and at least spend some productive time. Mm -hmm. I never read the preface, ever. I read the preface. And it says in the preface, Wisdom unites the separates, faith and doubt, fear and courage, male and female. Um, And then another friend said, yes, it's only when we acknowledge the existence of the separates in ourselves that we can find the grace to forgive. So there, see? See how that landed? Yes. And is that me? No. (laughs) <laughs> it, it is the universe rising up to help me out when I obviously cannot do this by myself. So I just splice things together, you know, and I make myself open. Yes. To the, to the, to the mysteries of that universe. And when you are, when you create anything, you are tapping into this life stream that energizes and invigorates and makes life really worthwhile. And mm-hmm. fortunately, everybody has the universe that I tap into at their fingertips if you trust the process. Mm-hmm. And it really has never let me down. Mm. So that's what I, I mean, that's what I love about this mystical process. I think I'm writing one story, but in actual fact, I'm writing something that is completely more meaningful than that. I was just at a workshop last week and I got this really great advice. And it's sort of what you're talking about. It's the three questions that you need to ask yourself when you're putting a story together. The first question is, what's this story about? The second question is, what's this story really about? (laughs) And the third question is, what's this story really, really about? Right. And I would suggest, I mean, Matthew Dick says all stories are, you know, have a five second moment, which is the ending of the story. That five second moment is where your heart turns over in real life. Mm. Right. And you see life just a little differently. And mm-hmm. as long as you do not make the mistake of thinking that you have a five-second moment when you don't, because a five-second moment is going to be meaningful 
to any and everybody. It's, yeah. it's a, it has a universal appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you've got the time, sit and write something and then say to the universe, I don't know how to end this. How am I going to bring this home? Because it's then that I think the universe very often will, will say, when you're least expecting it, here, here, let me give you this. Um, and, and that has happened to me so often that I just no longer doubt it. I love that so much. Just to do as much as you humanly can and then extend the invitation. Exactly. <laughs> That led me to another question. It's, it feels to me like there's, it's not necessarily two different energies, but it's two different experiences. And I was going to frame it like what's most rewarding, but this doesn't, this could be more of a compare and contrast, but the writing and the discoveries that come along with the writing process and, and the invitation to the universe and getting that invitation answered or the telling. Oh, that's really interesting. I think that if you have done the work, and trust me, I worked so hard on the Odyssey story, um, is that when you are telling, the universe becomes manifested in the audience response. Yeah, so in other words, the audience becomes the embodiment of the universe. And, you know, if the universe were to speak to you, it would say, you don't have to worry about this story. It is going to land because it has meaning and it has meaning for anybody, right? I mean, really, the Odyssey is about working damned hard to achieve a goal, and so I, I think that's what it is. It, the telling of the, the telling is the embodiment of the universe becoming the recipient of the story, if that makes sense. It does. That's so cool. That's delicious. Yeah, that's why I love talking to you, Jen. Thank you. So your recent adventure, you have this new adventure, um, Women Tell. Right. A storytelling series that you co-produced with a woman named Denise Page. Can you tell me about what the origin is of that and, and, and what it even is? I would love to tell you the origin of that. Denise was at a workshop where she was in a breakout session and she, Denise had just told a story about her mother. So when she's in this breakout room, this woman tells a story that is so heartbreaking about her mother who... Her only ambition in life was to become a librarian. She loved libraries. Mm. She arrives home from school one day when she's 16, and her father says, you are starting work tomorrow for Sears Roebuck, and you you will be a secretary. Mm. And Denise's story was about her mother and her father saying, it is a fool who does not take advantage of all the education that is being offered for free and getting as much education as you can. So you have these opposites. And Denise then came up with the idea of, of so many of our life experiences are shaped 
by the social conditions, the political conditions, the economic conditions of the decade in which we are living. What if we said to women, we want to hear your stories about another woman that you know, could be your mother, could be your aunt, could be yourself, that has been shaped by the decade in which the story occurred. And Denise said, I want to produce these series of shows. Will you come in with me? Denise said, I I love your response because it was, sure. I just wish I had had the idea. But what we discovered was we started with the 20s. Well, that meant, and they were all rather sad stories Mm. because the 20s wasn't a very kind decade to women, right? Mm -hmm. So then we put you know, maybe the 80s and the 30s and the 40s with, you know, the 2000s or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then we had a variety of age, but the experiences were remarkably similar. We always came away from the show thinking if we had known beforehand what the stories were going to be, it couldn't have come together any. and, And I honestly, it's that universe thing working again. Yeah. You know, it just is. But we always ended with a wine and cheese reception. Women needed to talk. Mm. They just needed to talk. Yeah. And our last show, our fifth show, we had more stories about abortion than any other time. And I forget what the, oh, it was any decade. So it could be anything. But it right now, abortion is what's on women's minds. Mm-hmm. But the stories were magnificent. And we had one about abortion in the past and one that ended differently. We learned so much from doing that show. So it's been, a f- and I, I can only appreciate anybody who puts together a show online or live, you know, like the Women's Festival in Virginia, huge amount of work. Yeah, logistics that you don't even, you can't fathom. Right. Right. And things going wrong literally two days before and just have the wherewithal to cope with that. Yeah. Been a real education for me. Is there anything that you've always wanted to say that you haven't said yet? Yes. I mean, I started out by saying I want to be just like that. Mm. I want to be just like Donald Davis. I want to be like Joe Callahan. I want to be just like Harold Birch. The only problem is I am none of those people. And so the only, the only storyteller you can be is the one that's true to your own voice, your own perception and understanding of uh, your lived experience. You can't be anybody but yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth that will resonate in your story. So uh, just a very simple message is, Never feel diminished because somebody else has done a fabulous job. Have the humility to say, that's a brilliant story. And know that if you work hard enough, you'll, you'll experience something similar to that. But I think just be true to your own voice as a storyteller. And as that evolves too, be open to change and to reinvention. I understand a piece of work that's really, really important to you and something that you have nurtured over the years is your performance of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes. 
the reason why I love this story so much, not because it's necessarily a Christmas story, but it's a story about one man's redemption Mm. and the ability to change and to change dramatically. And what Charles Dickens did with that story, Charles Dickens actually uh, was a strong social activist. He walked for miles, 20 miles sometimes at night, and he would go into the hovels of those people who were living uh, in horrendous Dickensian places. Mm -hmm. And he realized that many of the people encountered were incredibly generous of spirit and kind. And he wanted to change his society to make life better for the people who ended up in the workhouses, who ended up being marginalized by society. And he he started writing an essay and he realized this is not going to work. He needed to put a human face on suffering. Mm. And when he presents Tiny Tim, when Scrooge says to the ghost of Christmas present, will Tiny Tim live? The ghost says, no, if these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him there. And then he quotes Scrooge's words, what then if he'd be like to die, he'd better do so and decrease the surplus population. It was an economic theory that if you help poor people, then the population will explode and we won't have enough food to feed people, which is, of course, a myth. And so that's what he achieved in A Christmas Carol. Mm. He brought about a change of heart in the Victorian people who recognized the very words of Thomas Malthus, the economist, in, in that statement. So I feel that, you know, when I think about people who are impoverished and marginalized, we haven't really progressed that much. So I think, you know, the musical versions of A Christmas Carol that you see do not present the weight and depth of this story as it's written. Mm -hmm. And to hear the language of Dickens, which is just so magnificent, his humor, which is so understated, I, I think that comes out in the written text. And of course, I've edited it because otherwise it would take seven hours to tell the darn story. But I do believe that it's still giving that very valuable message that we need to be more generous. We need to be kinder. So I feel that it's that, that it is giving that important social message. And that's why I love doing it. And how how not how, but where and when do you do it? Well, I'm going out to Indianapolis. I'll be doing it out there. I'm hoping that I will be going to Woodstock again in Illinois because I performed there last year. Um, and I went out to New Hampshire to a little theater to do three performances. So it's gaining momentum. You know, as soon as I get my dates up for A Christmas Carol, they'll be up there. Stay tuned for when I'm locked in these dates. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely have your your website in the show notes. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Well, I really appreciate your taking time to talk to me today, Jen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for this invitation. You're welcome. Take care. Take care. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. 
This episode was produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. Theme music by Helen Avakian. Additional music provided by Beth Kelly. If you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, and most importantly, share Full Spirals. Bring your friends and fam along for the ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform. Because we really are all in this together. Till next time, take care.